Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Today uh, in the Vintage Studio, we have a very special guest. Kerry Hudson is the author of Lowborn, Growing Up, Getting Away and Returning to Britain's Poorest Towns. Kerry is a fiction writer. Uh, she's written a book called Thirst and another book called Tony Hogan Brought Me an Ice Cream Float Before He Stole My Ma. What a title. Uh, but Kerry has recently released this incredible non-fiction book about her um, time under the age of 18 uh, living in poverty in the UK. Always on the move with her single mother, Kerry attended nine primary schools and five secondary schools, living in B&Bs and council flats. She scored eight out of ten on the adverse childhood experiences measure of childhood trauma and 20 years later, Kerry's life is unrecognisable. Lowborn is an incredible kind of memoir slash manifesto. Um, I think it's one of the best books I have ever read and I really encourage you all to pick up a copy. Uh, Lowborn, it's an exploration of where Kerry came from and it's also a kind of thoughts about where we could go and what real empathy looks like. A raw eyewitness account of the very real poverty that lots of children in the UK still experience. I was absolutely honoured to talk to Kerry about her incredible book Lowborn uh, and I love that I can take you along on the journey with me to chat to her. Uh, here she is. Kerry, welcome to the Vintage Podcast. So thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having um, me. And thank you for writing such a bloody incredible book. Um, I'm very excited about it. I've just finished it. I'm going to start it straight away. When, you, when you're gone, I'm going to reread it <laughs> immediately. Um, so um, I wanted to just kind of like see, because I struggle to explain this book to people sometimes because there's so many aspects of it. There's so much that you cover. Um, is there a way that you can like kind of like give us a little overview of what the book is and, and how you came to write it? Um, no, if that's I'm possible. also, I'm also <laughs> struggling to describe it, which is unfortunate because that's literally my job for yeah. the next month. But uh, so, so what I say is it's kind of it's it's uh, two it's kind of like two two sort of different uh, narratives. So one is about me returning to the communities that I grew up in, from Aberdeen down to Norfolk and sort of many places in between, all very deprived communities, and looking at. Um, what austerity has done to those communities. Often I haven't been back for like three decades, so have things changed? If they haven't changed, why haven't they changed? Mm. Um, where, where are the sort of projects where people are making a really strong and impactful difference in those communities? Um, and then the, the sort of second narrative of the book is a very personal, very intimate one um, about how I, about my own sort of experiences of very extreme poverty actually and um sort of the the experience i had as a, a child and a teenager um and then really trying to reconcile those with uh with my life now as a as you know a sort of mm. happy and loved and comfortable adult yeah and i suppose as well like your life um to some people might look what is inverted commas normal although we hate that word what does that word even mean <laughs> but like um when you kind of decided to write the book you kind of talk at the beginning about how that was a bit of a like a pivotal point for you to be like I need to be honest about this and it might shock people and it might scare me but I need to do it what, what like did was there a moment when you were like this is it do you know like all the way through and actually it's some a, a fair bit of the book which sounds boring but I promise isn't is me saying can I write this book should I not write this book you know because it's hard I mean it's very very difficult I mean it's really um incredibly private actually mm. um but I decided that if I was going to ask for people's time and money and hearts and minds then I was going to give them the, the most valuable thing I thought I could which was um absolute honesty about my experience um and so it was constantly a struggle though I'm actually ironically for someone who's written a memoir I'm 
very very private person <laughs> you choose so, your moments so to be writing honest. a memoir is, is a great idea yeah. but um but actually like what i discovered was it was enormously liberating mm. like being honest about all the stuff that i'd been brought up to believe was shameful like poverty and sexual violence and um y- you know sort of mental health issues all of a sudden i had this like huge liberation because actually um you know i could share them and talk about them and what i find with sort of early readers is that people respond because everyone else is going through that too often you know so um so it's become this like beautiful liberating thing and so now i'm like i'm still going to be radically honest all the time like that's which my is plan a joy now. yeah yeah um do because again like i think that people are becoming more aware of the the absence in the canon of working class writers and you know different kinds of experiences um obviously i think people are willing to listen to them but do you think there is a blindness sometimes to the fact that they're not being served them and again in this world of algorithms where it's like oh just i'll just read whatever's in front of me like uh, what would you say to people um who are like thinking about see- seeking out working class voices and like trying to in- encourage them what like why it's so important um just because the writing is really amazing you know <laughs> like, i'm not asking you to read terrible books about people number down the one pits, it's great <laughs> there's yeah. amazing writers out there this is like whole wealth of talent and something like i think you know britain produces like what is it like the the second highest number of books in the world or something mm. you know like we're pushing out books like sausages yeah. um, it's really hard to read something that feels new or fresh or provides a new insight and you have this whole spectrum of work mm. that does provide that um, and um, yeah and if you are from that background then it allows you to read something which shows a mirror to your own experience which is always like I think a, a beautiful thing if you're a reader and if you're not familiar with that world then it offers you um, uh, an insight and a new perspective particularly in this post-Brexit time mm. when the divisions are, are so much um, so much stronger between those who have and those who do not. Um, so it's it's such a valuable thing to have. Mm. Um, but I do think it's happening slowly. You know, I think a lot of the major publishers um, and certainly the small press have been doing it for longer, I think, are looking at who they're hiring to make sure that not just in terms of class, but ethnicity or sexual orientation or regions, um, that they have a a broader spectrum of decision makers, Mm. which means that you would hope that the the, the sort of output of of publishing across the UK will become more diverse as a result. Yeah, and I think as well, like uh, there's this kind of like, um, people who kind of like look at postmodernism or like have read a, a lot and they're like everything's been done darling everything's been done it's all just a remake we're just retelling Shakespeare at this point and I'm like there is so much that has not been done <laughs> there's so much that is like still to come and that we've been ignoring for so long so yeah again thank you for writing the book I'm actually going to keep thanking you throughout this interview I will take it <laughs> thanks um, tell me about your experience um, with libraries a little bit how you kind of interacted them growing up uh, and then um, what your thoughts on them now are and then slowly depleting at the moment in Britain which is very distressing but um yeah yeah t- tell me about how important they are they're just yeah. uh, so for me so I should explain mm. for anyone who's like sort of sort of not familiar with me that that um I grew up with my my single parent mum and my little sister in um sort of council flats on council estates or um quite often in homeless B&Bs so um so you know really cramped sort of not great conditions we didn't have enough money to to, to buy books um, and we also just didn't have any spare money for anything else. You know, benefits mm. are calculated to be the least you can possibly survive upon. Um, and so libraries were this like safe, free, warm place that you could go to, 
no one would push you out you could stay there for as long as you wanted there was all these like uh, amazing sort of books that you had access to and you got to take them home I will never forget how amazing that was like these are mine now and they're not yours yeah. forever but you're, they're yours for a yeah. week and that feels amazing um, and they were just this like lifeline also because we moved around so much so you know I had uh, nine primary schools five high schools we moved around continually even if we were in like one place uh, for a few years we often had like three or four houses so we were constantly sort of transient but libraries were this like wonderful anchor and constant in my childhood and then in my teens no matter how wild I got or how out of control things got I always had the library and I always had books and they were showing me like sort of whispering to me that there were other possibilities out there yeah. um so they're they're deeply important to me and I think so um, I wrote for The Pool when I was writing Lowborn. I wrote a series of columns and I did one about libraries and I asked for people's experiences about what the library had meant to those. And I had so many people say, I would have never gone to college without my library. I would have never been able to read without my library. I wouldn't have had access to books at all because no one in my house read without a library. But what really, I think, touched me most was so many people saying it was just a safe place for me to go. You know, like I was bullied or my house was, my house was violent or... Um, you know, I was desperately lonely and I had this safe, safe place that mm. nurtured me during that vulnerable time that allowed me to go on and be a healthy, happy adult. Yeah, and you mentioned as well that librarians are quite forgiving when you came back with books that were ruined or being like, oh, sorry. Yeah, like just so, yeah, so, so my little sister was like constantly like drawing on books or ripping them yeah. off and the librarian would just be like, don't worry, don't worry, you know. Uh, it was just, yeah. it was just like, it was just wonderful you know and I say so the the library that I, I sort of mourned most of all is one in Hetton Le Hall mm. uh, which is in just outside Sunderland and they've got a new library but it's in a community centre it's a very different sort of setup but in that old library my mum like researched um, divorce law and medical conditions and you know she used it to, to try and look up how she might get a job it became this mm. like and you know also she could leave us there for an hour and we could sit in the children's section and she'd go off and do stuff yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't just about books it was about all the other things that a safe community space offers yeah and I think as well what would you say to people who are like oh but you know you can get that on the internet now <laughs> and it's like actually the internet has a few more like guarding like a few more layers to get through before you can access the internet yeah exactly um, yeah yeah you know like so and also like it's it's just it's about having those community hubs you know like so that mm. there's at least a few places where everybody in the community can go and be together interacting you know um over one sort of specific thing yeah. there are so few places like that i spoke to um the 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 president of the save the libraries campaign when i was writing that article and she said they set it up in the mid 1980s in response to thatcher and she said that it's never been worse than it is today like the erosion of the library service she said she's never known it to be so um so vicious yeah. you know trying to gauge the service but I hope that there's enough people who see the value who will constantly keep fighting um, and I have so much respect for those small community groups who are working really hard to keep their local libraries open yeah it's hard to pick out I think you know parts of the book that symbolize the whole um but are there any moments that you had when you were writing the book that are particularly memorable to you or like moments people that you met because also what's interesting in the book is that you you interact with these people that you didn't know in your, your former life but they're now existing in those spaces that you used to are there any moments that you can pick out for us that you're like oh that was an interesting moment? <laughs> um so i guess so i went back to aberdeen for the first time in i'm 20 
23, 27 years. Wow. And, um, and that was astounding because my family are all, for years, decades and decades back, they've always lived in, in Torrey, which is like the sort of fishing area mm. in Aberdeen. It's old Torrey, that's what they say. And they were um, fishwives and merchant navy men and fishermen. And, um, and I, but because we moved around so much, I never really had that sense of community or place or roots. And I was walking down the street that my grandma used to live on and I was like, this would have this would have been my whole life, you know. I would have like gone to my auntie's house after after dinner, and everyone would have known that I was, you know, that I was part of that family, and I would have bumped into my relatives, and that sort of idea of the the community, the working class mm. community that I might have had, and that sense of lineage and history that I kind of missed out on, but I was getting to reclaim was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then also when I went back to Coat Bridge, which is in North Lanarkshire, an extremely deprived area, um, and I met people. Uh, from the food bank there and a, a man trying to run a campaign an ex-gambler himself trying to run a campaign to um to get betting machines out of betting shops yeah. and then a woman who set up a school uniform bank so basically she was she'd had um she'd had cancer and she'd had to quit her job at a snack bar and um, start volunteering. So she was a benefits advice volunteer. And then she'd set up this charity for free school uniforms. Um, but the reason she did that is because she found out that one child didn't have a winter coat. And it's North Lancashire, it's freezing. Yeah. And she was like, if there's one child like this, there must be more. So yeah. she got that kid a coat. And then more and more people responded to try and help. And by the end, she'd managed mm. to get 300 school uniforms for the kids of North Lanarkshire and more all the time. She was just like, and like all of those are examples of just very, very normal people who see something that needs to be done, understand what what is actually needed and then find a way to make it happen. I mean, it was so yeah. inspiring. And it was interesting as well, you talking about, because um, you moved around school so much, going to one school that didn't have school uniforms. And for a lot of people, that would be like, oh, so hippie and cool and so liberating. And, you know, that actually sent your family into a bit of a spiral of panic because they're like, oh, we're only going to buy you one set of yeah. clothes. You have to wear the same. They were like, we're going to buy you a uniform. Oh, don't. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting as well. It's those things that some people don't think about that they're like, oh, yeah, school uniforms, how oppressive. And you're like, actually, it's a great leveller. Yeah. And the well, same with the water bottles. Um, at Henley yeah. Primary School yeah so I went back to my old primary school one of my best primary schools like it was full of really committed passionate teachers who did their very best for us so one of my teachers offered my mum very discreetly some clothes from her daughters another teacher arranged for me to go on a school trip for free mm. um, because they could see that we didn't have a lot of money and that things were really hard but and so they were trying like above and beyond sort of their their sort of duty to, to help mm. where they could um, and so I went back to that school and the great work just continued yeah. um you know so they, they just introduced something called poverty proofing which is an initiative by children northeast where you audit the school day to see if there are points during that school day where a child who is poor will feel aware and ashamed of their poverty where they'll be made to stand out so whether it's not having to collect a school a free school dinner token or having a different water bottle from every other kid because yeah. they can't afford the, sp the fancy ones or school uniform all of those things that that might differentiate you and create divisions and shame from that early age um it was and it was really successful 
it doesn't cost a lot to do and um and really i think will make a huge impact to, yeah. to so are kids. more schools going to do that because when i read about that i was like oh that's a, that's incredible i wouldn't think of it, but <laughs> yeah but do you know if that's going to be like a countrywide thing so it has to be adopted by local authorities they were ruling it out in sort of the northeast mm. um my best friend is a deputy head of a school in peckham and <laughs> so so she's in touch with them now to see if she can start she can start trialing it in london and actually mm. we're going to give a presentation to an early years conference talking about the benefits of it and mm. um, so i really hope so i mean i've got to say of all the things in the book that's one of the things that people most often say of course this just makes sense and why aren't we all doing it the same i think once people started talking about period poverty everybody was like oh i didn't know that was a thing we will give some tampons but like until you know you don't know you don't know what you don't know yeah no (laughs) um, yeah exactly like and and like you're of course that's just like such a simple solution and i think that's another example which i think the book is really illustrative of Mm. is that the people in these communities know what they need and they know how to solve the problems they just need to be given the opportunity and the agency to do so and not have people parachuting in who know very little about those communities or their lives yeah um a last question um because um i'm always looking to add to my tbr to be read list which i didn't know what it was till i joined publishing and i was like a to be read list i, <laughs> I was like what is yeah, your TB- yeah. what is your tbr it's like a vaccination <laughs> yeah. or something it's like i'm getting my tbr <laughs> so i don't get anything funny from um like what when you like we're reading books in libraries and, and as you've kind of grown up as an adult are there any particular writers that you're like they're they really influenced me like you can't miss their book yeah um janice galloway mm-hmm. i always say i often say so i discovered janice galloway after i wrote my first novel mm-hmm. but had i discovered her work then i might not have bothered to be honest because she cannot be bettered you know it's like I mean, good do, not to discover my book if you feel like it guys but <laughs> yeah. really go by janice galloway's I mean, <laughs> together yeah Why there we buy go one book? it'll be lonely on its own <laughs> uh james calman alan warner uh, Roddy Doyle mm-hmm. um, you know like really I mean the, the, the nice thing is that I, I think there's like a whole new sort of um, wave of working class writers coming through at the moment so Carmen Marcus who wrote How Saints Die uh, Glenn James Brown who wrote Ironopolis Kit DeWall who wrote My Name is Leon um, Paul McVeigh uh, The Good Son I mean there's a really there's a really rich 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 sort of and if you like crime Val McDermott is as working class as they come and enormously supportive of emerging writers um so that's probably that's probably yes, that's a good to be it's getting good, on with i'm scribbling it's a good in the yeah <laughs> um well thank you so much for writing the book kerry um it's absolutely wonderful and um, i know that everybody listening when they read it is gonna love it too um, oh. so thank you thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. Uh, that was Kerry Hudson talking about her book Lowborn. If you do pick up a copy and read it, do talk to us about it. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Vintage Books, and we always love hearing about how you felt about the books and chatting to you about them. It's incredible. Do subscribe to this podcast if you would like to hear more interviews like this one. We've been going for seven years now, so there's quite a big back catalogue to get your teeth into. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you do have a chance to review it on iTunes, we would be eternally grateful if you are so moved. Uh, I have been Lena Norms and until next time.